everybody and welcome to Headlights, the Daimler podcast that's all about who we are and what we do at Daimler. The jobs we have, but especially the interesting people who work here. Lab 1886, uh, we are a, the main incubator for Daimler AG. Mm -hmm. uh, we also consider ourselves an innovation lab um, and a venture builder. This is David Haley. He's our head of personal strategy from Lab 1886 in Berlin. And we'll talk with him about his job in HR, leadership, and the development of his career. And of course, about some personal stuff as well. But first of all, we'll start our interview again with 3x30, a little game we play with all our interview partners. I ask David three questions, and he has a maximum time of 30 seconds to answer each. What's your special about your job? What, what drives you? I think there's a lot that's special about my job. Um, I think uh, essentially what I do is I help shape the personality of the company, mm. right? Um, I, I've heard it described as, as a, a, a door picker at a club where uh, you kind of really know what's it, what the right person that should be in the club is. Yeah. So that's essentially what I do. Um, I'm the door picker at, at Lab 1886. <laughs> yeah, anything that you desire? What's your biggest dream? Well, I think the uh, the official answer that everyone would like to hear is something about something about ventures, right? <laughs> But one of the, one of the dreams I actually have is I want to be have the opportunity to build to be part of an interesting venture that we actually built, yeah. and maybe even help that venture grow. And you know, once I've built my legacy here. I can then go build another venture that Lab 1886 builds. If I would ask a member of your team mm -hmm. what kind of leader you are, yeah. what do you think they're going to tell me? Well, they'll tell you I'm the funniest leader they've ever met, so that's for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely hilarious, right? Well, this was a great teaser. We should jump right into our conversation. So, David, some of our listeners might wonder what Lab 1886 stands for. Can you maybe explain this a little bit? It's a it's a very very ambitious project. We're one of the one of the key companies that are coming out now. Yeah. That will that is that has responsibility of trying to digitally transform a very large corporation. And 1886 was obviously the year when they invented the car, right? 18, and there is a reason for that. 1886 was the year the car was invented, and it was written by obviously by us, basically, Daimler, yeah. right? It's that pioneering spirit that they had to figure out what the car was, yeah. right? It's, it's that it was being built, this kind of trying, it's that level of innovation that they had that we are trying to, in some way, try to replicate because, mm -hmm. you know, the car has evolved a lot to a point now where we have, it, the type of competition you have now is different from the type of competition you had in the past, you know? Yeah. Uh, even car companies, I mean, of course, we're talking about companies like Tesla. Yeah. They're part car company, part, you know, technology company, yeah. right? And in order for you to be able to compete in the future, you all you have to be proactive. Right. And this is, you know, Diamond is a highly uh, successful business right now. But smart companies, the ones that will survive in the future, are ones that can start preempting What will happen? Start predicting and preparing. Where our our whole mantra is, you know, our big topic is the future of mobility. And mobility is a very very large topic in itself. You know, we are seeing mobility change right before our eyes, in terms of shared cars. You know, shared right now. Whether it's it's uh, you know companies like Uber, whether it's our our own initiatives like car to go These are the kind of things that will be in the future. And of course, automated driving. Uh, these are all things that are going to be in the future, and but there's a lot more to mobility than that. We have, uh, you know, we're involved with uh, Volocopter, as well right. as you may know, which, you know, it's uh, which has a successful, um, we had a successful trial last year in Dubai, 
And uh, this is not kind of concepts anymore. These are tangible things that you can do now. And everything, there's an entire environment around it. There's an entire environment around these, these ideas and concepts and, and actual products that will shape the future. And yeah. what, uh, what Lab 1886 is gonna be doing is basically uh, building out. And we're building, we're building the, 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 the environment around these future concepts, right? Yeah. All of that is part of the future of mobility, and that's what we're doing. Well, during our talk, uh, when we first met before we started recording this podcast, um, you also mentioned that you're somewhat of an incubator uh, um, for Daimler. I'm sure that we have a lot of listeners out there that are not so familiar with the startup scene and community. Could you maybe define this a little bit more? Just I explain it. I'd like to take a little step back uh, yeah. and, and give you an idea of what we... Uh, not just what an incubator is, but also the three things that I would say that we are. So initially we are, uh, I would say we are an innovation lab. So we have, you could call us like an, an R&D department or R&D company for, for business ideas, right? So we, we, we take ideas that come in from uh, other business units within, within Daimler. And we obviously have, during our, using our, the most modern methodologies, go and figure out if these people are asking the right questions. Yeah. And then what we do is we basically, uh, we test and we, we try to find what is gonna be unique and uh, different and also a strategic fit towards uh, Daimler. So we, we create a lot of concepts, mm -hmm. right? But it's not only creating the concepts, right? It's only, not only just about innovating these ideas, right? So we have to then also then make them tangible, make them real, right? So once we've figured out that we have the right blueprint for this, mm. we bring a co-founder. It could be a co-founder from um, business units. Mm. It comes to, we work together, we co-create together mm. to form, to base, and we, this is when, this is the part that is, is about incubation. Incubation is essentially that once we've, we have the idea, and once we have the co-founder, once we have the partnership working, we work together to build this product into a venture. This process of taking this idea, sitting with us, working together, and building out this company. This is incubating the company. It's essentially taking, it's, it's taking what was simply an idea to make it a real, uh, make it form a real business case, for uh, building a real prototype and building a new venture. So right. when you look at your daily job and your daily routine, mm -hmm. um, I look around your offices over here. Is, is it more like working for an outsourced startup than for a global company? No, I think actually... Uh, Was it a hybrid or something? I would say it's, it's exactly that. It's uh, One of the things we like to call Lab 86 is that it's the best of both worlds, right? Yeah, yeah. There are pros and cons to working for a cor corporation and there are pros and cons to working for a startup. You work for a corporation, you have security, you have you have uh, defined processes, you have all of these things that you, know, you just know where you're going to be and you know exactly what's going to happen. But what you're missing, of course, is impact. You don't have any impact when you work for a large corporation, or you have, I wouldn't say no impact, but you have less of an impact. Yeah. Uh, when you work for a startup, you have a large impact. You know, you know, uh, however, there's really no security. This, uh, the average life cycle of the, you know, at something like 95% of startups and uh, tech startups in Germany, uh, you know, they collapse before mm. their fifth birthday, yeah. right? So what we are, I would say, is the, we have all the advantages of having, being a daughter company of Daimler. So yeah. we know that Daimler's gonna be around tomorrow. We know Daimler will be around next year. Yeah. We know it's gonna be around for the next 10 years. 
there is that security. But what we had our other advantage is that we get to be we get to build our own processes. We get to build our own. We, we literally can go from scratch and be fast and compete with all the best tech companies. Because uh, one of the disadvantages that being in a large corporation is that you just can't match the speed of of a, a small startup. Right. Because they uh, they're solution oriented, not process oriented. And we get to be solution oriented. Of course, there are challenges trying to integrate these two concepts. Just, it's not nirvana, but. As a concept or our ambition is to basically find a way that we can be as fast as any startup and, and coming up with solutions, but also having, because of the security, to also take more risks because we know we can take more risks because we won't collapse. Yeah, yeah. And then that it's in that place of risk is where you have true innovation. So we touched it already briefly during your introduction, but I would love to get to know more about your specific job. What does the head of personnel strategy do? A head of personnel strategy is actually one of those titles that probably sounds a little strange to somebody who works at Daimler in a corporation because it's, it's, it sounds like a startup sort of title in many ways, but it, it comes from a deeper source. Now, we all agree that if you speak to anybody, they all agree that the biggest asset a company has is its talent. Different In the past, if you had different businesses, your biggest asset can be your uh, data, your biggest asset can be, you know, if you're an oil company, your diggers could be your biggest asset. But in tech companies, it's literally the people, mm -hmm. right? So there's nothing more important you have than, there's no nothing you have with you that's more important than your people. Because think of companies before their uh, billion dollar valuation, how many people worked on it? You know, you got, it could be anything from 10 to 50 people to 100 people, but something like 40 people can build a billion dollar business. Yeah. 40 people sitting down with just laptops can bring out a billion. So that means you have essentially what you have is the people being the most, should be the very top of every consideration for every company. And that's where I come in which is uh, I'm basically the people person. What that means is I'm involved in talent acquisition, talent retention, and all people-related matters. So you're a headhunter. And, and one part of my job is, yes. One yeah. part is, but it's uh, the reason why the, I don't like the headhunter title. Other it's application. too Boba Fett. -y. There is that. And I, I told my dad I was a headhunter, and he, kinda, he really thought I meant I was going to go hunting. But uh, the problem with headhunting means that you, once you identify your target, you make the kill, yeah. you've killed it, and you're done. Exactly. Right? Yeah. What I do is it's, 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 it's multifaceted. I will be involved in bringing in the talent, so it's talent acquisition. For me, talent acquisition, the, that first call you make to a person, or you're already dealing with talent retention. Mm. Because your first piece of contact with a company, you represent the company at its very first moment, mm. right, before they've done a single piece of research on you, is a call you have from someone like myself. So you're already, you're part of branding, you're part of uh, how do you feel about the company coming in, you're part, you have so many uh, responsibilities in that very first call, yeah, yeah. and you should take it that seriously. So what I, that part is called talent acquisition, and that's how I bring in the talent. I ensure they have a, a certain experience, whether, whether, whether we decide to hire them or not. And when they, once they come in, I also, my, not just myself, but my team, we, we ensure that we're always following 
the the talent because that's our biggest asset. So mm. if it's our biggest asset, then of course we invest and ensure that we give it all the attention it needs. Can you tell us a little bit, I mean, when you look at your daily job and your daily routine, sure. if sure. there is any routine, uh, by the way, <laughs> What are the biggest challenges when it comes to kind of spot new talents? I mean, for first of all, mm -hmm. you can look at their CV, right? You know what they did before. Right. Um, right. They obviously have a veto of you know other companies that they worked for. Is there anything that you're looking at specifically? So, of course, with, a, with any job, people-related job, there's no such thing as a standard day. Yeah, there's no such thing. If we were, if I was a, let's say, a pure recruiter or a pure headhunter. As you say, then yes, you can you can organize your day based on speaking to ten people a day, five of which will will decide to interview and scheduling interviews. That would be your day. My day is completely different, and my team's day is completely different because what we do is we very uh, we work closely with the teams, uh, with the various teams that we have. We have different silos. Uh, we uh, we uh, identify the profile that they need, that what are, they, what are the big factors for them on a skill set level. And what we have is someone like myself, uh, I've worked closely with the, the management team for a long time to identify what is the profile of the person we want outside of their skill set. We have all of this data in front of us, mm -hmm. and based on that, we build a strategy for search early. So we, de we decide now which we, what are, where are we going to target, where are the kind of companies we can look at who have employees or the kind of people, the kind of skill sets they have. And from then, from this strategy, we then go and speak to people. Mm -hmm. We have a very, very specific way of doing so. This is something we've, I've developed over the years. It's really being able to kind of, it's learning the psychology of the person you're looking for. So you really have to dig deep. Is, is, is there any specific category where you have a really high demand or is there anything that you look for? What's the perfect well, candidate? The, I mean, the perfect, the perfect candidate is a, it's a, it's a very subjective question. Yeah. There's, no real, there's, no real, there's no such thing as the perfect candidate. They're just people who are suitable for the job and people yeah. who are not, right? I would say, um, first of all, all the roles that we're looking for are all very high in-demand roles because we, we are working with the latest technology. We're working with the latest type of methodologies. And honestly, every, every large uh, high-level tech company is looking for these people. Yeah. Right? Uh, the tech industry has always had a problem of talent because it's just never enough. There's just never enough. I think there's something like 15,000 unfilled jobs in Berlin, for example. There's one city wow. right now. And you, you will, there's, if you speak to everybody, that's why there's a thriving um, recruitment consultancy businesses because people just need all the help they can get to get the right talent. Because uh, if you're a startup, getting the right, the, your first 10 hires determine the success of your business. So you really want to focus on who you bring in. We have, we're in the same war with everybody else. Uh, the, there's an assumption that um, we have an advantage because we're Daimler. The reality is in the tech industry, we have a disadvantage mm -hmm. because uh, if, you are a, um, if you're an engineer, the, com the companies you kind of think of, they're gonna, that you want to be are, are Facebook, are Google, these are the kind of companies that you think of, right? It's not, it's not a Daimler, mm -hmm. right? And our challenge is to convince a high-level a, a talent that we are we now are uh, want to compete in that market. We want to be that cutting edge, and uh, and so far we've been successful. We have we yeah. are the team we have is uh, very carefully handpicked. We 
spend a lot of time figuring out how this works. We have a, we our our process is fast but it's very efficient. When you mentioned that the competition for this war of talent that is happening there for the last 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. How do we actually convince the right candidate to, to join us here at Daimler? Because of the possibilities. What I, I'm confident, Lab 1886 will be a key factor in transforming Daimler. And it's a, it's a bold statement, but there's a reason behind it. We genuinely believe that we're going to be the, the, I would say, the tinder that lit um, this large uh, sea of change yeah. because we can, we'll have tangible successes. Think of it this way. We have, we have, uh, we have the funding, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we have the money, we're, we're downers behind us, and we have an open playground to go and build the, in the future of mobility. You can, you can either go you know, rewrite some code at Facebook or you can come build something for the future. And mobility is part of, uh, it's not, sim again, it's not just cars, it's not getting from point A to B, it's linked to things like smart cities, it's linked to uh, so many things that will, you know, in our own lifetimes is gonna change. And you can be part of that change. Mm -hmm. an actual active change. People in the tech industry are spoiled for jobs. They don't need, to, they, they can take whatever job they want. They don't have to work for, uh, you know, in the past you have, you know, you see people having to take, a, stay in a job for 16, 17 years. The average um, life cycle of a person working in tech in Berlin, for example, is 3.5 years. In um, San Francisco, the longest is Facebook and that's two and a half years. Wow. Right? So what you're talking about is people who are gonna be moving all the time, but so they really will go to a job and you can't pay them more than anybody else. There's only so much you can pay someone, right? Yeah. In the end, it is about passion. And we're telling them that it's, there's a lot of possibilities here. We, you know, we have the money, we have the idea, this is our intention. If you want to, you can come and build it here. If a listener of our podcast wants to apply for a job at Lab 1886, if any tips or recommendations you wanna give? Uh, I haven't seen your CV, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it, I would say that um, you know, for our roles that we have, we you know, they're on our website, of course, uh, lab1886.com. Plug. Um, I think that outside of the skill sets that we need, I think the number one thing that we look for is pioneering spirit. Being called lab, you know, of a lab of something that's going you're going to create something new. Right. Right. That's the curiosity. That's the the, the need for creation and innovation, but the 1886 part is that that's the pioneering spirit that created something that changed the world, right? Yeah. If you have a pioneering spirit, if you're someone that, you know, with the, you need to wake up in the morning because something matters to you, then this, then this is exactly the kind of place you want to be in. You know, you could work, you could make much more money working for a, I don't know, making software for banks, yeah. right? But that's all you'd be doing. Or you could be here building the future of, uh, of, for example, you know, wireless charging or whatever it is, you know, or AI, or we look at topics like AI, we look at topics like, you know, how uh, cities connect, and we look at so many different topics yeah. that these are the kind of things that should matter to you. And if they do, then this would be a good place for you. But here you have quite a diversity of different... I mean, uh, it's a potential you, job somewhat. Yeah, I mean, we have there's uh, there's five different silos we have. We yeah, have for engineers, for software engineers, we have product managers, um, you know, uh, venture architects, which are like the entrepreneurs within the business. We have uh, you know designers, uh, you know, visual designers, interaction designers, service designers. We call UX/UI designers and strategic designers. There's a bunch of roles, 
right that we have here but it's uh, the key the skill set is one part but the um, really generally speaking I'd say you can teach a lot of skill but the pioneering spirit is something that I feel that you probably want to come in with before you come to the interview we, we do have one of the things that I'm pretty proud of of what we've done and how we built is that we don't believe in the concept of the brilliant asshole because our business just doesn't need it. We work with, yeah. we're, we're co-creating with a lot of people. We work with a lot of people. So for us, the idea of someone who can, I don't know, just is incredible what they do, but are also very difficult to work with is yeah. uh, outside of the ethics and morals that we're, tr or the culture we're building is actually not even conducive to our business. Mm -hmm. So for us, that's uh, a big key for us, which is that uh, our interest isn't, it's not simply the very best person in their skill set. It's you should be very, very good at what you do, but also fit into this. I have this ideology behind you that you are a pioneer. You want to build and that matters to you more than most things. Mm. Now we talked a lot about Lab 1886 and what you guys are doing mm -hmm. here and what you set up. Have I asked you already about the locations, the various locations that you have throughout you the have Lab not. 1886? You have rudely, you have rudely not asked me anything. <laughs> I mean... Pitch it, I do mean, it. I've so how many people are here at this location in Berlin? We're, I'd say we're uh, about uh, 60 or so people here yeah. in Stuttgart, yeah. um, in Atlanta. We have a team there. We have a, a team in Beijing. Uh, so it's growing all over the growing, place. It's growing because we th the important thing of having a team in, uh, in Asia, a team in North America and a team in, in Europe mm. is because uh, innovation, it evolves in different ways. Uh, you know, there are some incredible products happening in Asia that still we haven't got them. We, ha we don't yeah. have them here. We don't have them here. I mean, and w what we our goal is to, for all these innovation labs to pop up and to independently innovate. But we want to have uh, the talent kind of working in different locations for projects, right? So that eventually we can learn from each other mm -hmm. and, you can, and you can see where innovation goes. So we have all that knowledge that's being built within this company can be shared. Yeah. Uh, and, and hopefully in the end, that we'll end up having this advantage. We'll have this massive advantage when finally building. David. Now that we really talked a lot about my paid in the six, I'm gonna give it mind. another shot. I don't mind. <laughs> I'm giving. I'm gonna give it another shot with the next question. Let's sure. talk a little bit more about you. Um, okay, I like long, you, I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about your background and where you're from? How sure, did your sure. career develop? I'm from California. I um, moved to London to go to law school. After law school, I then decided working as a lawyer was not for me. Uh, <laughs> Because it's a the be the name of being a lawyer is as way more exciting than the fourteen hour days, <laughs> and I like everybody else who enters the people business. I stumbled into it. I um, you know I didn't. It was not what I thought I'd be doing uh, initially. But once I got, I initially started as a um, a recruitment consultant. I helped build a tech uh, division mm -hmm. uh, from scratch uh, of a company I worked for. And I realized, because uh, I used to wear suits to go to work, right? And I went to go have my first meeting with a gaming company, and they had a ball pit. And I said, I want my nine to five to look like this. Yeah, yeah. I want to be playing, I'm a big child, and I want to be playing in one of these things. And I thought it was just me, but it turns out we all like fun. We just thought we can't. We have this archaic concept of working, which is that you, you know, you, you, you're supposed to go to work and be there at nine, finish at five and, and, you know, have certain decorum, certain whatever, and just kind of be constrained. And 
what I saw working with tech companies was like they went, well, there's nothing wrong with having fun. There's nothing wrong. You don't, your work environment does not have to be bleak, right? You don't have to be sad to go to work. And um, that inspired me to, to go further into this business. Uh, I, I guess what I enjoy the most is interaction with people. And I, I've spent a long time developing myself in, in behavioral psychology, in interviewing, or interviewing skill sets, in understanding profiles. Mm -hmm. All of these, I've, I've spent a long time kind of always learning and always developing this area. So it got me more and more interested in it. I then ended up, went back to San Francisco for a while, you know, uh, did some consulting gigs around with companies like Uber, then moved back uh, moved back to, to Europe, worked with companies like Spotify, and I got really heavily involved with gaming companies like Supercell and Rovio, and finally ended up in Berlin. I consulted with a, with a lot of companies here in Berlin as well. I mean, I, a lot of the rocket companies, yeah. uh, you know, your companies like Deliveroo, uh, all of these things I've helped consult for. Mm. And I led a consultant life for a long time, which is pretty uh, lucrative and easy life. It was my own boss. And um, I never considered going in-house to any yeah, company yeah. before I met current CEO Felipe and uh, and uh, CEO Martin, yeah. um, these guys. I, I, it was a casual meeting, uh, and I'm, and they told me, look, we have this little, we have this tiny project with a handful of people in it, and they were sitting in Beta House in Berlin in this co-working space. I know space, that one, yeah. Right, and as if you know it, it's not the most glamorous nope. place in the world. Quite straightforward. It's, <laughs> yeah, let's call, let's call it straightforward. <laughs> a German way of putting it. <laughs> I went, I went there and they told me what their vision was and I was like, and it's the same thing I say to a person I'm hiring now, it's the possibilities are endless. You can join one startup where they have one idea and you, you put all your chips on that one idea or you can join a innovation lab that's building a bunch of startups and you yeah. can put your chips on all of them and the one that cashes in, you go that way. <laughs> And so you decided to join Daimler and you became the head of personal strategy I, at Lab 1886. And I, I helped, I helped um, and, and, and I will say this, I, I did get a lot of support. I think this is something that um, maybe in the corporate side would be more difficult to attain yeah. because I, was, I had, had a lot of autonomy in, in how we shaped uh, the team and how we built the culture. Because yeah. uh, I obviously came with a lot of ideas from the startup world and I was hired specifically for this reason so that we can we have access to talent from the startup world. You know, if you're going to build a, uh, everybody wants to build a corporate uh, innovation lab. Everybody wants to do that. Everyone wants an innovation lab. But what they normally, what corporations always make the same mistake of doing is that they use the same tools that they've done in the past to solve a different problem. So they want to be faster, they want to innovate, but they bring in the same team to try and innovate, but they were already there. Mm. You need what you need, what you need is a different perspective. Mm. People who've been working where it's solution first. This is why I was hired to bring people who are very solution orientated, who really didn't, don't have, don't, are not, let's say, as stringent with their processes, mm. right? They just find whatever process works. And because of that, we were able to grow fast and ideate fast and build prototypes very quickly and, uh, and, and show what we can do. Very yeah. Quickly. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm super curious. If I would ask a member of your team mm -hmm. what kind of leader you are, yeah. what do you think they're going to tell me? 
Well, they'll tell you I'm the funniest leader they've ever met. So that's for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely hilarious, right? What I would say is, is that I'm someone that um, I I could tell because while we were shooting the segways for the video, right? <laughs> you constantly came up with this. I'm scared of dolls. I'm scared of cats. I am I'm scared of dolls. I, I, I lost my ass off doing this. We couldn't even shoot anymore, right? You had this kind of but dolls are scary. ridiculous tsunami going but on. But dolls stare at you at night, and some of them have glow in the eye, you know, in the dark eyes. I mean, this is who, who's, it's true. who's making it's these dolls? True. It's like with the with the clowns that are not funny at midnight. Oh, they're amazing at midnight. Oh, amazing. Jesus! Now it's really I've, getting I've scary. Seen it. <laughs> I, I would say, I would say, uh, if there's one thing I'll say about leadership for me, what matters about leadership is that I don't think you can call in especially the modern working environment, you need to have credibility, which is that if, you, uh, if, you're, if you're someone that's gonna be a, a, a leader mm -hmm. uh, in the past or in a more, let's say in a more, in a, in a more archaic system, simply having a title gave you uh, all the authority, yeah, right? Yeah. In more modern settings, uh, the title itself doesn't mean anything. If, if, you, if, right. I, if I'm your boss, yeah. I kind of need to show I, I know how to guide you, how to develop you. Yeah. I know how to work with you in order for you to reach your goal. If I'm someone who simply orders you, like we said, we're, not, we're, in, a, we're in a war of talent. Right. If someone feels that an incompetent person is leading them, they will go to another place where there is oh, someone absolutely. more competent. Yeah, they agree. have options. Do, do you think in general that the definition of leadership changed in recent years? I think absolutely changed. I think yeah. that if you just, if you were, uh, you know, for whatever reason, get hired as someone's, you know, boss, the, that person wants you to call them boss. That person wants you to call them mister. That person wants you to speak to your secretary, not them. That person wants you, there's a lot of things that they have. As as we've evolved, especially within the tech industry, that type of leadership is, 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 is not appreciated. That type of leadership is not what people respond to. People want to, they want to be inspired by their boss. They want, well, by their leader, right? Yeah. They also want their leader to work with them. They want to see him as a human. They want to see him to, it's not someone who just says things, but really someone who invests their time in knowledge. Uh, most CEOs I know in, in, in San Francisco are pretty up to date with what's happening in technology. Oh, absolutely. I right? agree with you. Like yeah. they don't, they're not, uh, you're not someone who just kind of goes like, we'll just go left or right. They kind of can have informed conversations with you in a way that I don't think was necessary in the past. Yeah. It was not necessary for you to be that informed. And yeah. now you, if you're, if you don't have credibility, you, you will not build a strong team. Yeah. You know what? I have one last question for you and it's... How beautiful am I? I can tell you. <laughs> Very. You, know, you, 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 you have an amazing radio face. I can tell you this. This is why we're doing a podcast. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I really hope you cut all the intros. <laughs> you know what? Just imagine being you as a student and... Uh, I can what, tell you. What, 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 what kind of advice would you give yourself for a future career with all the experience that you have? I would say is to never box yourself in. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, to never feel you're too old to do anything, to never feel like anything is too late, to never feel like that this one thing that you're doing determines the rest of your life. You know, you can take a, a bad career left here or there, it's absolutely fine, you just gotta build yourself up. If you don't have, uh, you know, if you don't have a certain skill set, but you can see the skill set is valuable, Take some time and learn. Two years will pass by uh, in, in really fast. In, in the end, like I, I can just say for here, right? Let's say if I'm looking for a designer, right? I know there's some people who are designers for you know seven years, but they have the wrong attitude. But uh, but if I I can meet someone who just kind of came out of 
they just did a course for two years, but they learned how to use the tools. Yeah. But they're dedicated and they really want to work. They will have a higher chance of succeeding. In the end, don't believe that you can't do anything later. Don't box yourself in one job. If you're not happy with whatever you're doing, learn another skill. It's easier, more, more easy than ever to do so. That was a perfect quote for the end of this podcast. David, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I think our listeners can also find you on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter? Uh, I'm on Tinder. Uh, <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> I'm also on some odd posters. But uh, other than that, also, yeah. but more and more for our purposes, <laughs> find me on LinkedIn. And also, find, if contact us if you'd like to check our website, lab1886.com. We're doing very exciting things. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Cheers. So this was Headlights, our Daimler podcast. And if you like what you heard, subscribe and leave us a like or a comment. And of course, we hope you guys join us again in our next episode as well, when we talk to Adi Ofek. She is the CEO of Mercedes-Benz R&D in Tel Aviv. You will find our next episode of Headlights right here in two weeks. And if you want to get to know more about the interesting jobs we offer at Daimler, please go to daimler.com career.